Welcome in to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm your host, Matt Prem. Uh, for this episode, we're going to take a break with Eric and I going back and forth with our thoughts, and we're going to bring in a guest with me today, and that's going to be uh, the Register Guards Austin Meek, uh, a guy I call my friend, a guy that is very uh, hands-on with the Oregon Athletics programs, uh, really has a good feel for every sport, basically, at Oregon, and uh, I value his opinion, and he's he's just... He's got a good feel for for what Oregon Athletics is at, where, where they are at, and kind of where they could be going and, and past history. And uh, I really respect his opinion opinion on uh, a lot of range of topics with Oregon Athletics. So we're going to have him on the show, and we're going to go over a wide range of topics. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna discuss Oregon football, and we're gonna look into the Auburn game. We're gonna look into some expectations. Uh, he had a conversation with Mike Bellotti, Oregon's former head coach. Uh, we'll get his his thoughts from his conversation there on some interesting comments that, that Mike Bellotti made. Uh, and we'll also spread across some other topics that aren't just related to Oregon football. Uh, it was an interesting offseason for Oregon basketball for the men's side. Uh, Dana Altman and the Ducks made it to the Sweet 16. And then he saw three uh, of his four best players ultimately say they want to go test the NBA. Uh, one of them, Bull Bull, was selected in the second round, and then Lewis King and, and Kenny Wooten both went undrafted but have landed now with NBA Summer League teams, which uh, will get underway this week in Las Vegas. And so we'll get Austin's take on kind of uh, where Oregon is at now that they've been able to add a couple pieces to, the re- to their recruiting class and kind of – get a lay of the land of you know are they a tournament team are they a team that's on the rise could you know are they taking a step back what's kind of the expectation with this program now that uh the dust has settled a little bit with where things are at in terms of the roster we'll also get his his takes on missy lombardi and her first year out of oregon uh and they've had some off-season additions some important ones they've added a couple pitchers they just recently ra- uh, landed a, a, a transfer from a freshman who was a freshman uh, player of the year in her conference. And so we'll get Austin's take on the softball program and the trajectory that that program is going on right now. And then we wouldn't be smart to talk about women's basketball uh, and avoid that. So we're going to uh, we're gonna get Austin's take as well on, on Kelly Graves and the women's basketball program and kind of just – where things are going next for the Ducks on the hardwood from the ladies' side. Uh, all that and more on this week's podcast with uh, Austin Meek here on Lots and Audibles. Uh, again, for VIP members, uh, we thank you for reading our site and for subscribing. If you are not a VIP member, there's a great opportunity for you to, to join in uh, at a very low price. For $1, you get your first 30 days free. Uh, you can't beat that price anywhere else. Uh, and then on top of that, if if you are a VIP member and you're you're paying month to month, uh, or if you're a non-subscriber and you're committed to go year in, uh, and you want to buy a year's worth subscription, you can get your first year at a rate that comes out to being six dollars and twenty six cents uh, a month for your first year. That's again the, the cheapest you'll find anywhere uh, on the internet for uh, the type of website that we are. Uh, we are the cheapest out there for, for Oregon football, Oregon basketball, recruiting coverage. Uh, so, again, lots to get to on this podcast. 
Let's welcome in our guest this week from Ots and Audible's podcast. You can find his work in print in the Register Guard at a local newsstand in the Eugene Springfield area online at theregisterguard.com, or you can cruise over to Twitter and give him a follow there via at by Austin Meek. Uh, we welcome in Austin. How's it going, man? Hey, good, Matt. How are you doing? Doing good. Trying to enjoy the summer lulls. Kind of difficult to figure out what to talk about a ton or write about because it's just we're in that part of the year where it's nice, but there's really not a lot of actual news going on. Yeah, no, we're in the same boat. We uh, we do our weekly podcast at the Register Guard, and uh, the summer is always a little bit of a challenge, but it's uh, you know it's a good time to kind of uh, catch up with some some different people from around the country. Seems like preseason college football, by the time you hit about the 1st of July, it starts to feel like football season again. you got media days coming up, uh, preseason polls coming out, preseason magazines. So uh, we're still a ways away, but it's starting to feel a little bit more like football season, I think. Yeah, you you guys recently on the Duck Pod, uh, I would go encourage you guys, listeners, to go listen to that. You had Mike Bellotti on uh, to talk about his induction into Oregon's Hall of Fame, and you brought up an interesting, I think, conversation that, that Bilotti answered, I think, interestingly. And then uh, I'm more interested in your theory here, but you brought up the the career arc of Mike Bilotti and how Oregon fan, most often than not, w- would probably be okay with what he did at Oregon. And I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just I'm curious why you think that that would play out well for Oregon and, and is that more of a realistic scenario for, for Oregon fan too yeah I think there's definitely been a reset in the expectations of Oregon fans over the last three years or so uh, because it's true you know Mark Helfrich got fired uh, two years after coaching in a national championship game and so when you're talking about going back to you know the the level of success Oregon had during the Bellotti years, which was you know, a high level of success, but certainly not what Oregon experienced under Chip Kelly. Um, you know, there certainly was a time a few years ago when Oregon fans would have said, "No, you know, we we appreciate everything Mike Bellotti did to elevate the program, but we don't want to go back there. We want to remain at the level we were at under Chip Kelly, where we're you know, winning the Pac-12 every year, winning double-digit." games every year going to to big time bowl games but i think the last 3 years have have caused oregon fans to take a little bit of a step back and say you know we're we're not one of those programs like alabama uh or or ohio state or clemson um that every year is going to be in the mix to win the national championship or be in the playoff and after you have a, a four and eight season or a seven and five season, I think some of those Mike Bellotti years start to look a little bit better. You know, yeah. you start to say if you're a program that has a winning record pretty much every year, is in a bowl game pretty much every year, and on your best years is in the mix to win a national championship, I think that's a level of success that that Oregon realistically could sustain. And I think most fans would probably be fairly happy with that. I think. Bilotti probably is one of the more underappreciated coaches in the last two decades at, at Oregon just because he he basically kind of got pushed out so that they could retain Chip Kelly and then Chip obviously did what he did and then 
you know, before that, Rich Brooks has the the War of '94, and I just I, I go back and I think there are a lot of good years and years that you said on the podcast that Oregon was legitimately in the championship hunt. Yeah, and I think the the great uh, unanswered question is, what would Oregon be right now if Chip Kelly hadn't gone to the NFL? Yeah, uh, because we've seen what Chip Kelly has done since he left Oregon. And he's never really been able to recreate that success anywhere else. And maybe maybe he'll get that going at UCLA. But I don't think any of us expect Chip Kelly at UCLA uh, to experience the kind of success that he had during that run at Oregon. So I, I think it's quite possible that if Chip Kelly had stayed at Oregon, his long-term career arc at Oregon would have ended up looking a lot like Mike Bellotti's if yeah. you take away that you know that initial run where they kind of caught lightning in a bottle uh, I'm gonna guess that Chip Kelly if he were here now would probably be you know in in the same ballpark that uh, that Oregon's in now with Mario Cristobal if that you know Mario Cristobal is recruiting at a higher level than than Chip Kelly ever did uh, at Oregon and so you know it's just it's interesting to think about you know how how the story of Oregon football might be different if, if Chip Kelly had stuck around. You listen to the Odds and Audibles podcast, and we have the registered guards, Austin Meek, on. And uh, you mentioned at the top we're, we're seeing releases of top 25s, All-American teams, awards, and whatnot. We're also seeing a lot of odds being released of teams that could compete for a national championship, teams that are going to you know, odds for conference championships. And recently I saw a FanDuel odd came out, Oregon 3-1, to one, to win the conference. I feel like we're starting to hit that point where, well, I think Oregon's going to be good in 2019. And I think that we're, they're going to be a really good team and winning the PAC 12 is very realistic, but I think we're starting to manifest ourselves into thinking Oregon's maybe a little bit better than, than what they are. Do you, do you buy those three to one odds? You know, I think, I think that's maybe a comment, um, on the rest of the conference as well as on Oregon, you know, the fact that on paper there's maybe not um, a dominant team going into it, uh, you know, a team of the caliber of what Washington uh, has been the past few years. Um, I, you know, I think, I think you're right that when you're looking at what Oregon was last year, Oregon had a good team last year. They had a good season. They won nine games, but it's a big jump to go from that to being a team that is in the college football playoff. Uh, so there is, you know, I think that there is a, a level of projection with Oregon that because Justin Herbert is coming back, because that offensive line is coming back, uh, because they've returned some pieces on defense, Troy Dye uh, in the middle of that, that defense with the new defensive coordinator, I think there's, you know, there's a hope for sure that Oregon can take that big step forward uh, and in a year when some other schools in the Pac-12 may take a little step back, this absolutely could be Oregon's year uh, to win the North and get back to the conference title game. But that is a big jump from where they were last year because even though they had a good season, I don't think, I don't think watching that team last year, you felt like that was a team that was really a big threat to win the conference. 
Um, so they're going to have to get better if that's if that's going to be their goal for this year. My my overlaying concern is that in the last three years, the Ducks are just four and twelve in road games. And I, I guess you count na- neutral site games as well, but I can't really recall there ever being one. Um, and then with understanding that they have to go to Stanford, they have to go to Washington, they have to go to USC, they have to go to Arizona State. I mean, those are all teams that in the last two years, three years, have, have beaten the Ducks. And that's my biggest hang-up is, are we really going to say that this team has gone leaps and bounds to overcome those, those road issues? Yeah, and if you look back at last year, it wasn't just that they lost games on the road. It was that they weren't competitive in yeah. several of those games. In the Arizona game, Arizona was not a great team last year at all. Uh, but Oregon was never really in that game. I mean, from the opening series, um, Arizona just completely blindsided Oregon. And the Washington State game was, was pretty similar. You know, first half, Oregon wasn't competitive with Washington State, and they 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 got a little bit going in the second half. But uh, I agree with you 100% that one of the top things on Mario Cristobal's list in the offseason has to be to figure out how to get this team ready to play better on the road. Because the schedule, you know, if, if you look at that Auburn game, a neutral site game is you know, a game away from Autzen Stadium. That, along with the road games that you mentioned in the Pac-12, this is not going to be an easy road. You know, it's, it's the cycle where the schedule flips against Oregon um, in the odd-numbered year, and that on top of a, you know, a, a really tough game to open the season. Um, they, they're going to have a tough road to navigate if they want to be the team that wins the Pac-12 North. Let's, let's shift to that, that game to open the year in, in Dallas against Auburn. Um, I think... There's a lot riding on this game for a lot of different people and, and also the, the Pac-12 and, and the Oregon program. Um, just how do you view this game on the legacy of, of Justin Herbert and who he is as an Oregon quarterback and Oregon as a whole? It, it, it feels kind of crazy to say the first game is a, a, you know, a must-win type of a game, but it, it kind of has that feel for if, if we think – if we want to see what Oregon has or what we believe in Oregon to be as a team and as Justin Herbert as a quarterback, they kind of have to, to play well and win this game, right? Yeah, it kind of feels that way. It, it feels honestly a lot like last season when Washington lost to Auburn, and it really set the tone for the whole Pac-12 season. Uh, after Washington lost that game, it's like, well, that was on paper the best team in the Pac-12 and the team with the best shot to get to the college football playoff. And when you start the year 0-1, it's hard to come back from that. You know, there's just not much margin for error. Uh, so I think you're right. I think, I think for a lot of people, there's going to be a lot at stake. Um, starting with, yeah, Justin Herbert. You know, his, his legacy at Oregon, he's been such a great player. Uh, he's going to go to the NFL and is going to be picked really high and is going to make a lot of money in the NFL and hopefully have a great career. I think the thing that you look at with Justin Herbert is that, you know, compared to Marcus Mariota, which is such a lofty comparison and in some ways maybe an unfair comparison, but the, the only thing that Justin Herbert hasn't done is win at a really high level. 
uh, win those big games, um, prove that he can take his team to a championship. So there's a lot at stake for him, a lot at, at stake for Oregon, a lot at stake for the Pac-12 for sure in that in that first game. I mean, I look at the like previous elite quarterbacks from Oregon and whether they go on to the NFL or not, just kind of what they've done at, at Oregon, I, mean, I don't think – obviously he doesn't stack – no one stacks higher than, than Marcus does, and that's never going to be a fair comparison for anybody. But – Joey Harrington's accomplishments at Oregon, in my opinion, are you know higher, and Darren Thomas's accomplishments, and the, Dennis Dixon in two thousand seven. I mean, I, I I think Herbert's really good, and I think and I want him to be good because he's a good guy. He's from Eugene, and it, you know he's got a cool story, and I want it all to work out. But I, I just think that he could make up a lot of ground in terms of fan hierarchy of of where he fits in Oregon history with a big game and a, a big senior season. Yeah, you're still kind of waiting for that defining moment for him. Um, because if you look back at his career, you know, you, the, the games that stick out to me, the game at Utah his freshman year where he, you know, he threw the game-winning touchdown in the final seconds. Uh, but that was a, you know, a four and eight season. Um, and that's not a, it was a, it's a great moment, but it was not a season that anybody really uh, feels fondly about. You know, the win against Washington last year was was a huge moment, uh, but it wasn't necessarily a game where Justin Herbert was, you know, putting the team on his back and and leading them to victory. It, in some ways, it's unfortunate, I think, because Justin Herbert has been the quarterback at a time when Oregon was going through a lot of turmoil. Yeah. And I think he gets a lot of credit in a way for being the guy who you know, provided some consistency and a foundation from the end of Mark Helfrich's tenure to Willie Taggart to now Mario Cristobal. Um, it's tough to be a quarterback and have three, uh, three head coaches in three years. And so the hope for Justin Herbert now is you know, he's finally got a second year with, with the same head coach. <laughs> Same offensive coordinator, same system. Uh, so if there's a big leap for him still to be taken, this is the time for him to do it. One thing that's really interesting to me is the overall status of the QB depth in the QB room at Oregon. Because for the first time in a long time, it, it feels like there's some stability. Because like you said, Herbert's back. He's got, for the first time ever, his second year in the same offense with the same offensive coordinator and then behind him it, it feels like at least that that Oregon has an identity and no kind of to an extent knows what they may have in his primary backup and then they've got you know another scholarship quarterback that was a four-star guy and my question here is Phil Steele came out with his magazine and in that magazine he ranks each position group uh, across the country, and he has Oregon as the fourth best position, fourth best quarterback room in the country. The only schools better than him than Oregon is uh, Clemson at number one, Alabama two, Texas three, and then Oklahoma is five. Interesting enough, there's no other Pac-12 team in the top ten. USC is the next school at eleven. Washington State is twelfth, and Stanford thirteenth. Uh, Washington, which is surprising to me, is thirty second. Is is huh. Oregon's quarterback room in in your mind? that much better than anyone else in the Pac-12? And do you look at this group and think beyond Herbert, it's that talented? Well, that is interesting because I think, I think you're putting a lot of 
faith in, in Tyler Shuck, which may be warranted. You know, he was a, uh, a fairly high-level recruit, and in the pretty limited times that we've seen him play, he's definitely showed some potential. Um, but, you know, to put Oregon's quarterback group that high, um, unless it's just all about Justin Herbert and, and you feel like Herbert is potentially the best quarterback or one of the best two or three quarterbacks in the country, you know, I don't think you'd put him above Tua or above Trevor Lawrence right now. But after that, he's, I think he's in the, in the conversation. So on, on the strength of Herbert alone, Oregon's quarterback group would be up there. Um, but I think, I think even though uh, the depth at quarterback looks a lot better than it has for Oregon, there's, still, you know, there, there's definitely uh, some unknowns there. You know, I, I would have liked to see Tyler Shuck play a little more last year in some meaningful situations just from the standpoint that Braxton Burmeister kind of was what he was. And, you know, there was a ceiling there that he probably was not ever going to get beyond. And Tyler Shuck was the guy who seemed to have, you know, the potential um, to blossom into a really good Pac-12 caliber starting quarterback. Um, so, I, you know, if, I think Oregon's in a position where if, God forbid, Justin Herbert goes down, uh, even if it's just for a game or a quarter or whatever, uh, I don't think anybody's going to be you know, terrified <laughs> to have Tyler Shuck in the game. Uh, but clearly, uh, there's still some unknowns uh, beyond the starting quarterback for Oregon and still some development that needs to happen at that position. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Let's let's shift gears now from football and, and talk a little bit of my love, and I think deep down maybe yours as well. If I know you correctly, and that's basketball. Yeah. Um, Oregon's off season for the men. I I think when Kenny Wooten and Bull Bull and Lewis King declared for the draft and all stayed in, at the time Oregon had like what three or four scholarship players coming back and three or four guys coming in to the program. They've now added a couple pieces. Granted, two of them can't play in, in the 2019-20 season, uh, but they did get an important grad transfer in Anthony Mathis. They added a, another high school guy in Luke War, a, a guy that was going to go Juco, but grades got in order, and basically every Power 5 school quickly offered him a scholarship because everybody needs a guy this late in the process, and he ended up committing to Oregon. Has What do you make of Oregon's off-season additions so far we know there's possibly some more out there but do you look at this team and think they're tournament caliber or are they still a long ways off to even be in that discussion in your mind 
Well, it's kind of turning into a classic Dana Altman offseason where you know, they have some guys who leave that you don't expect and you're concerned about you know, how are they possibly going to put this roster together. And then they end up you know, just finding some guys that, that maybe you didn't think would be available uh, or some guys who maybe weren't on the radar initially. Um, and it kind of feels like somehow – they're going to be able to, to put this thing together uh, to where they they should be competitive in the Pac-12 next year. I mean, it doesn't it it doesn't feel, and you probably have a better feel for this than I do, but it doesn't feel like they've just like reached for guys and taken guys where you're yeah. like, oh, he he doesn't he shouldn't be at Oregon. Um, you know, they've had to get a little bit creative, uh, and depth is definitely going to be an issue for them. Uh, but you know, they're top five or six or seven guys I think are going to be pretty good. And, you know, you'd like to have a couple more, but Dana Altman's also shown he doesn't really play a lot of guys anyway. <laughs> he had <laughs> 10 guys, three of, three of them would probably be on the bench anyway. So if you've got seven good guys, I think Dana Altman can make a pretty competitive team out of that. Yeah, I was just going to argue that I think if you go back and look at Oregon's most successful teams, the the Sweet 16 team in 2013 – they essentially relied on eight guys. The the Elite Eight team in 2016, uh, or seven, uh, 15, excuse me, they relied on eight guys. The Final Four team was eight, but it went to seven once Chris Boucher went down with his injury. Uh, and then this past season, you know, it seemed like Oregon kind of found their groove when Altman cut the lineup a little bit and, and basically rotated just seven players. And so maybe you're onto something that – you don't need 10 guys. I mean, you, you probably need 10 to withstand the rigors of a regular season, but get into the tournament scenario and you can roll with just six or seven guys. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if there's, you know, if, if there's anything you could, you know, kind of critique about Dana Altman and how he's, he's built teams is that, um, you know, at times I think that he has, um, you know, he's been slow to kind of, trust uh some of some of the younger players he's recruited and maybe there have been times when he would go with a grad transfer over a freshman and you know, one of the one of the realities of college basketball right now is if you recruit a freshman who's a you know a four-star player a top 100 player if they don't play as a freshman they're gone i mean that's been oregon's offseason you know victor bailey yeah, he was there two years uh but he's gone miles norris is gone um so yeah, Abu left mid season. It's like, you know, Dana, you know, Dana will pick the guys he feels good about, uh, and he'll roll with those guys. And in a way it's almost better, you know, not to have a four star guy just sitting on the bench because he's just going to transfer, you know, (laughs) so they're not going to have that guy this year. There's not going to be probably a, you know, a guy who thinks he should be playing who's sitting on the bench. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Another program at Oregon that had an interesting offseason last year was the softball program. Uh, one year in now with the Missy Lombardi era, are you buying or selling the stock of this program after the season that they had and now seeing the roster additions that they've been able to do? Get two elite pitchers from other conferences. Uh, and then I think this week they added a, the WAC Freshman Player of the Year uh, as, a, as an infielder. Are you are you in, all in still, or are you buying what the softball program is projecting? You know, projecting out to be. 
I would say I'm cautiously optimistic uh, that they're going to make a big jump next year. Uh, and, you know, when you talk to people uh, who, who follow softball closely, um, when Oregon hired Missy Lombardi, I think there was a high confidence level that she was going to have Oregon up and running uh, in, in a pretty short amount of time. Uh, she's really well regarded uh, in the in the softball coaching world, and I think you know that whole exodus that happened uh, after Mike White left. You know, I I think that caught a lot of people by surprise, and you know, it was a situation that it was it was kind of a no win situation for Missy Lombardi, uh, and there's nowhere you can go but up from that. Uh, but I I do feel like in time she's gonna build a. Uh, a really strong program at Oregon. Um, she's going to be judged, you know, by a pretty high standard because if they're not getting to the yes. College World Series m- most seasons, um, you know, that fans are going to remember what it was like under Mike White, right? Uh, and and remember how it used to be. But I do think that they've gotten a lot closer to that. And you know, I don't know what they'll be next year, but they're certainly not going to finish last in the Pac-12. I think they'll, they'll be a lot better. <laughs> you, you had Kelly Graves on. Last question for this one: We're speaking with Register Guards Austin Beek here on Austin Audibles. Uh, you had the women's basketball head coach Kelly Graves on your podcast on the Duck Pod uh, with Ryan Thorburn about six weeks ago. Um, I'm just kind of curious: just is this the program that? is going to win a national championship next out of Oregon. Because I think if you ask that question the last three, four, five, even maybe 10 years, everyone would first answer might be Oregon football during the Chip Kelly years in 2014 with Marcus Mariota. Or if it wasn't going to be Oregon football, the most sane and realistic answer outside of maybe one year was probably going to be track in, in yeah. some some capacity, whether it's the men, indoor, outdoor, or the women indoor, outdoor, or cross country. Um, has Oregon women's basketball kind of assumed that regular team you think of that's going to win a national championship next within the scope of Oregon athletics? Yeah, that's a great question. I think if you're talking just about next year, yeah, it's it's the Oregon women. I think they'll be the preseason number one. Um, I think they're going to go into it as one of a handful of teams that are are definitely the favorites to cut down the nets. Um, you know, track is is always going to be big at Oregon. Is always going to be in the hunt for that. Uh, it's been you know, it's been kind of a weird couple years for for track and field at Oregon, just because of the transition with the stadium. Uh, you know, some coaching transitions. Uh, so they you know they haven't been quite at the level they were at. Um, just a couple years ago, which was insane, you know, for the yeah. the Oregon women to win the triple crown cross country, indoor, outdoor track in the same season, <laughs> you know, that's pretty unprecedented. So they're, you know, they're not quite at that level. Uh, and it may be another year or two before they, uh, before they get, you know, into the new stadium and really get things up and running again. Uh, long-term, it's hard to bet against Oregon track and field, partly because you have so many chances to win national championships <laughs> in that sport. Uh, but man, short-term and, and look into the future too, the Oregon women's basketball program is, is going to be a, you know, it's going to be a, a factor next year. And with the recruiting class they're putting together, it's not going to be just a, you know, it, they're not going to fall off the map after this group moves on. I think they're going to be relevant for a long time. 
one interesting thing that I I'm curious to see maybe it's how the men's side can can handle the, the transfers and you know playing time like you mentioned and not just at Oregon but across the board but Kelly Graves did this a couple years ago when he signed that recruiting class that had Sabrina and Hebert uh, and it has Jaeger and a couple of the other players uh, still on this roster but he signed like seven girls in one year. And it's looking like his 2020 class is going to be the same size. I'm wondering if that's maybe in women's basketball and in, in men's, if that's maybe the the strategy is, hey, let's just load up one year, understand that maybe three or four of these players won't finish their, their entire careers at Oregon, but it'll be a natural progression of, of one leaves after their freshman year, two leave after their sophomore year, and then maybe one leaves after that. And you build a, a program that way. Maybe is that kind of a blueprint you, you feel like that's sustainable? Well, I do think that those things have a way of working themselves out. Like, because I know when we talked to Kelly Graves, you know, he was he was thinking about how are we gonna you know find minutes for everybody next year. Um, you know, looking at the group they have coming back and the, you know the players that they have added in. Uh, but you know those those things just kind of take care of themselves. You know, when you think back to when Kelly Graves recruited this group, you know, a player like Mallory McGuire or Sierra Camposano, they were high level recruits um, and they had roles with the team. Uh, But, you know, when it, when it turned out that they were not, you know, the, the players getting heavy minutes, they moved on. Those scholarships opened up gave Oregon a chance to look for the, you know, the players they needed. So they have the flexibility to bring in a player like a minion Moore this year, who is going to be, I think a really uh, important player on their team. I, you know, she's not going to play the most minutes. Um, I'm not exactly sure what her role is going to be, but having the flexibility to bring in a grad transfer uh, who's got a lot of experience and toughness, you know, that's, that's the flexibility that, that you need. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure that as they look out now beyond uh, next season with this group they have coming in, it's, it's a huge class and it's probably a pretty good bet that not all of those players are going to finish their uh, careers at Oregon. But the ones who do are going to have great careers and some others may be really important pieces for you. And the ones who move on, that gives you the flexibility then to go find the piece you need in that particular season. He is Austin Meek. You can follow him on Twitter at by Austin Meek and also read his work through the Register Guard either online at theregisterguard.com or you can read his paper by a paper at any local newsstand in the Eugene Springfield area. Austin, really appreciate you coming on the on the show. We'll talk to you uh, sometime closer to football season or during the season. Okay. Hey, thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.